clap it for me. I mean, no disrespect. But you're a cunt. You're a cunt now. You've always been a cunt. And the only thing that's going to change is you're going to become an even bigger cunt. Maybe have some more cunt kids. Leave my kids fucking out of here. What have they done? All right. Uh, we know what it's like having uh, those kinds of kids. I can't even say the word. I, you, are you trying to demonetize us? Is that what you're trying to do? <laughs> you're trying to ruin the whole show. What are you yeah, doing? Yeah, right from the beginning. Uh, 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 hello, welcome to Film Trace. This is a podcast where we trace the life of a film from conception to production all the way to release and reception. Uh, this is episode, I believe it's episode two of the new cycle, isn't it, Chris? That's that's right. We're in the 2000s right now. And uh, I'm, I'm excited. Uh, we've got a, a guest, and we're going to look at the films Hot Fuzz and In Bruges, which I think just kind of on accident are both uh, British films. Um, and the only British films of this absurdist action thematic arc that we're looking at through the course of cinematic history but before we get too further into that uh max Koval, thank you for joining us uh tell people uh where they can find your stuff what podcast or podcasts you are working on and uh then we'll get into the show sure thanks for having me uh, chris and dan and uh i co-host a show called the it's the pictures podcast it's it's found on twitter at it's the pick pod and we also have a letterbox account um following that uh there's a connected Substack that i that i run and uh just expand upon things a little bit um you can find some of my freelance work at uh sites such as paste magazine rogeruber.com uh polygon uh i, I have a free work freelance stuff that shows up there uh sometimes so uh yeah check it out thank you so much happy to have you and uh you're now our third uh rotten tomatoes approved critic to be on the show and uh, we're happy to uh continue the tradition uh each cycle and we're excited because not only is your pod awesome but uh i mean some of the stuff that you've gotten up on polygon and rogerreaper.com um i think that this will be a pretty natural fit because uh even though we're doing comedy for this batch of episodes um or absurdist action as we call it um, action comedy I we're probably we're, we're probably still gonna just be overthinking things nonstop. <laughs> <laughs> as we do as we do uh let's talk about edgar Wright first can we do yeah that? yeah let's dive into that uh morass now um mm-hmm. i guess you would say um uh, i can start uh i think Shaun of the dead was one of my favorite movies when it came out i'm a huge zombie fan uh, specifically george romero and when I saw that, I was like, well, I'm in love with this guy. And then Hot Fuzz comes out. Absolutely loved it when it came out. Do you guys remember this being uh, a big movie in 2007? Do you guys remember like sort of popping off? I don't remember it being it, massive. No, but I did see it like pretty quickly the after theaters? it came out. Oh, yeah. Right. Okay. But it, but there wasn't there weren't a lot of people there. It was very much like I thought that it was going to be huge because I feel like it was marketed obviously better than Shaun of the Dead. He had a bigger budget. It was probably a wider distribution, but you're right. It was kind of like anybody who saw it was like, yeah, that's hilarious, but it wasn't really huge. Right. How about you, Max? Yeah. For for me, it was like, I actually think I missed it when it came out in theaters and like, it wasn't really on my radar despite having really enjoyed Shaun of the Dead and that, that combination of Simon Pegg and Nick Frost and, um, and since then, you know, I, I've, I've seen plenty of Edgar Wright films, but, um, it took me a while to find, uh, hot fuzz. And, um, when I, when I did, I, I, I was glad to have found it. And it technically was the biggest hit of the Cornetto trilogy, just box office wise. Right. I think uh, so. Yeah. Cause it did, it did what? 80, 80 million worldwide yeah. back then, which I don't Where, know whereas Shaun of the Dead did 30 world's end did 46. So like it, 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 it clearly was the most popular, at least stateside of the bunch. And yet it still feels, it felt like at least until Scott Pilgrim came out that like being an Edgar Wright fan was a, a little more, uh, it was way less of a thing um, until like not only Scott Pilgrim came out, but I feel like a bunch of people d- uh, rediscovered uh, Spaced, the TV show. Yes, of course. Yeah, certainly that was something um, I did as well. Yeah, so like I'm curious. Uh, I mean, the big question there was a light 
a very minor amount of Hot Fuzz discourse lately uh, on film Twitter. There was uh, some screenshotted tweet um, that was about, uh, you know, the, the quote, copaganda uh, buzzword. And <laughs> Are you kidding me? This no, I'm not. I'm fan. not. I can't stand this word. <laughs> so, so I am curious to look at it from, uh, you know, 15 years later now since this film came out, but let's stay in 2007 for a bit. Like, uh, we are looking at absurdity in the action genre, the action comedy subgenre. And yet, uh, one of the things I really enjoyed about hot fuzz when it came out was it's not, not so subtle commentary about small town life, uh, perfectionism and, uh, like the buddy comedy style of genre. But other than that, it felt like it was pretty innocuous, like politically. Right. Oh yeah. Like, I don't, I mean, there's like, everything's political at the end of the day. Like I certainly have that viewpoint and lens, but like, is there anything about hot fuzz that is, has like a pointed ideology to it? I know. <laughs> like I don't think so. I mean, I don't know, Max. What do you think? Do you see anything political in this movie? Oh, I, I mean, yeah. Like you said, a, a, any like uh, art worth discussing, I guess, that has some kind of political um, elements to it. But uh, I just, it, it's funny because as the course of the movie goes on, and certainly I'm sure we'll talk about it more, um, the, the lines get blurred on uh, who exactly you can trust as uh, good and evil. And I, I think ultimately um, it doesn't necessarily put Simon Peck's character as this ultimate, like a super cop type of thing, which is, I think yeah. would have been the biggest argument. Right. That he's kind of like lionized, like, uh, yes, he's uh, got flaws because he's perfectionist, because he snitches on everybody um, because he, you know, will uh, impugn you for like the slightest transgression. Um, but Are you for the most to say part, he's a fascist, Chris. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, I mean, he's a, he's, he's a textbook fascist. He's <laughs> <laughs> well, where, I mean, that's kind of what we've been looking at with this genre. Yeah. And I think we will continue to, uh, just as we do with existential thrillers, um, there's less of that like crisis factor, though we will probably dive back into that when we discuss in Bruges at the end of the show. Um, but in terms of like kind of that entry point to the protagonist and like the duo at the center of this film, like so much of the action comedy subgenre, I mean, yes, it's a joke vehicle and, and so many of the jokes just are dead. It like hit so hard. Mm -hmm. Um, and yet like, what is it about this, <laughs> this character? Like, Edgar Wright even went so far as to call it his most autobiographical film. Oh, um, I didn't know that. Huh. Yeah, because he grew up in a small town, and yet he always felt like he was this um, kind of, kind of a, a like a fascist creative. Like, uh, <laughs> I could see that. Wanted yeah. to, you know, because last night in Soho, I could. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'm going to be. I'm going to keep kicking the can down the road on that one. Yeah. Okay. okay. Well, um, I, how about this? Before I think you're talking about a layer. That mm -hmm. is even above the base layer. Sure. Right. Let's the base layer is what? It's like action movies. Here's the tagline. They're bad boys, they're diehards, they're <laughs> lethal weapons, they are hot fuzz. Right. At the end, the, the base layer to this movie is action movie parody. Right? Question mark. Max, you I'll back to you. Go, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, certainly they play that up. Uh certainly the one of the pivotal uh, sequences in the movie to the, to solidify the relationship between uh, Peg and Frost's characters, uh, the bonding over watching movies like Point Break, Break and Bad Boys 2, and even uh, when uh, Peg comes around uh, in, in the finale section, um, it's because he sees those classic uh, cop buddy movies on, on the shelf and um, makes a move to come back and uh, save the town or you know, save his friend, if you will. Yeah, I think that's, I mean, at the face of it, right? Like, that, the whole movie is about, it's skewer, is it homage? Is it, you know, pastiche going to in Bruges? Uh, you know, is it, I, I think on that very basic level, 
the wink wink and the irony to it and the meta art, I guess, to the whole thing is incredibly well done. Mm-hmm. Right. I think Edgar Wright is a master at doing that. Uh, and it's one of the reasons why I think the movie has stuck around for so long. And I think in the U.S. it's more of, and we established a little bit, a little bit more of a cult film, right? Right. Uh, in England, this is like a household movie. Really? Like, uh, yeah. So I, I didn't realize that. And so I was just doing like a um, a gradual, I always search on Reddit just to see what's going on out there. In uh, Bruges is on Reddit like every week is like, oh, it's an underappreciated movie, blah, blah, blah. Um, <laughs> But Hot Fuzz is in all of these UK forums where mm-hmm. it's like, oh man, Hot Fuzz was on I- ITV, whatever the hell it is, uh, over there. And like, I have to watch it. It's like a requirement, which I didn't really sort of realize that it had that sort of, um, I don't know, just cultural cachet over there. It's just like they, they love it. There's something like they love making fun of themselves or something. But I think, you know, on that very basic level, the film is probably the best parody of action films ever made maybe i mean it's pretty high up there (laughs) yeah i I couldn't really think of like like here's i mean here's something we should distinguish as because we're doing absurdist action movies what's the distinction between this and hot shots yeah part do or like any of the you know jerry zucker films right secret comes to mind yeah Yeah. so like it, it there there is this like almost um the thing that stuck with me a lot in my rewatch is that even though these characters definitely are to be mocked, they are also like fully fleshed out and like likable, just like as actual like three dimensional human beings. Whereas like you know MacGruber or Airplane, like those movies, th- the purpose of the 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 word parody is to like have those caricatures is like two-dimensional cutouts right and yeah. they literally are just joke vehicles and um you know there's this great uh interview with um nick frost and simon Pegg, who i mean you can't imagine any other duo being at the center of the cornetto trilogy in particular this one since it's literally doing the buddy cop thing and that relationship there like they said that's the that's that's the secret right is that you have to not only do you have to have good chemistry as actors but like secretly be in love with each other yeah. um peg said that in empire for a 15th anniversary piece that's worth uh, looking up and you have this kind of uh warmth to it even though it's very oh, yeah. like almost clinical in its precision and like its kineticism um as a film and yet like you really do want to spend time, like even the minor characters, like uh, I was so blown away by like Olivia Coleman showing up and I'm right. like, oh, yeah, yeah, she's here and I she's am, killing it. <laughs> it, it. It's funny too, though, because like the cast is, is, is stacked. Like when oh, yeah. you, when you I certainly as I've revisited now and it's just like, there's a great gag at the beginning of the movie where they're going like through the police chiefs and like through the layers and you're like, <laughs> Oh, this is one famous British guy after the right. other. Like, <laughs> yeah. well, they're going to be able to get, and you're like, Oh wow. They got this guy. <laughs> yeah. I mean the, that's the one thing about this film. It, it like every scene sort of sings because the surrounding cast, no matter what character it is, I don't know how they did that or how that works. Is that casting? Is that the editors? Is that the director? Or is it just the actor himself being so great? But it, everything just clicks in this movie. Uh, and Edgar Wright is one of those directors where he is so maniacal and specific <laughs> that when it clicks and it clicks well, it's just a, I don't know. It's like, I'm going to say pure cinema. Is that, can I say that? Is that allowed? <laughs> but I mean, you know, joking aside, it's just, it's the craftsmanship here is so, uh, it, it's just like a watch. It is so precise and perfect that, um, you know, the pair, I mean, the, the question that comes to mind when I watch this, you know, I, I think a lot of the reviewers sort of pointed this out is that it's, it's not only a great comment on action movies, but it's also a great action movie at the same time which reminds me a lot of scream, you know, a great right, slasher yeah. movie, but also a great commentary on slasher yeah. movies. Um, but I guess the big question I have here, and maybe it's an obvious question, but I want to ask it anyways, does Edgar Wright actually love point Blit, point break Ooh. bad boys to die hard Terminator, all that kind of stuff. Is this a love letter? 
kind of a, a throwback to the the cabin in the woods episodes we we did about josh whedon you know saying his movie's a love letter to horror <laughs> movies but it feel like it right i don't know what like you guys think about this is this a love letter to action movies <sighs> you go first max because I, I gotta chew on that i it feels like it feels like uh you could make an argument both sides yeah for, for me i think the uh, Edgar Wright's purpose for all three of the movies in the Cornetto trilogy was to um, kind of make these comedies out of maybe like genres that weren't. I mean, yeah, there's this funny but uh, buddy cop movies, but um, to really make fun. I mean, certainly Shaun of the Dead was like this hilarious zombie movie, but at the same time, it was, you know, a, a really great zombie movie. Uh, I, I think that he obviously had a great joy for the material and um, throughout his career uh, he seems to have uh, explored a lot of different genres. I mean uh, like we have already alluded to like last night in Soho, he, he wanted to like look at those maybe like Italian horror movies mm-hmm. um, and he, that's where he drew his inspiration for that. So um, yeah, I think it comes from like a place of love as opposed to just like making fun of, uh, the material and, and not enjoying it. You know, this reminds me of, I think maybe it was about the mid two thousands when I feel like there was a, um, maybe not a film Twitter discourse, but like a just general pop culture, uh, kind of tension about the term guilty pleasure, right. Mm-hmm. Where, you know, people are starting to reevaluate that term, um, where, you know, and I, I think I myself have have gone through various cycles of like when I watch Point Break or the Bad Boys movies, uh, you know, delineating when I'm just like having fun and like just pure pleasure, pure cinema, if you will, versus like an actual like I'm laughing at how ridiculous the set pieces are or how frantic Michael Bay's editor is cutting between (laughs) shots right so like at the end of the day it does feel like he he did a uh edgar wright did a interview with filmmaker magazine um in advance of the movie coming out and he talked about how it was on it was a on-set interview um where basically you know they they collected as many of these not just like you know, contemporary action movies like eighties and nineties, but even going back further into like the sixties and seventies of uh, just like having, like just sharing tapes amongst the cast. Like, Oh, you got to watch this tonight. You got to watch this tonight. Or they'd watch them on set after rapping for the day. And so like, there's, there is that like just pure enjoyment factor to it. Whereas like, yeah, like the, you know, scary movie or um, the Zucker movies, it, it feels like there's definitely some really, pointed derision even yeah, though they're just like so dumb like they're arguably dumber than the movies they're making fun of right yeah there's condescension there in a scary movie or anything like yeah. that like there is we're above it all we're smarter than this the people who like this are idiots middle america hate you know it's like um yeah it's definitely sort of an elitist viewpoint um i did find a, some quotes here uh i didn't set you guys up but i kind of did uh, because uh, <laughs> Simon Pegg said, uh, Hot Fuzz slightly satirizes itself by drawing attention to some of the more extreme cliches and devices used in those movies, being action movies. Uh, it was made with affection as a valentine to those movies. It is not a critique. But then, and I love using primary documents because he goes on to contradict himself later on in the same interview. <laughs> uh, he talk, He's talking about Bad Boys 2 and Point Break. He says, they're supremely entertaining and completely unpretentious. They are proud to be big and dumb. That is why we picked those two. Bad mm. Boys 2 is an absurd display of machismo and fireworks, but that is not to say there's anything wrong with that. Artistically, you cannot defend Bad Boys 2. Like, you cannot defend fireworks <laughs> going off. What? How do we even unpack that minefield? Like, is it... I I think the the point that, that comes in, that pops into my head here is that, like, there's clearly a love for action movies here. You mm-hmm. do not make something like this unless you love Predator or Point Break or any of those movies. Like you have to love them and have consumed them pretty religiously over your teenage years and young adult years, right? Yeah. But there is a layer here of I don't know if I'd call it condescension, but there's ironic distance at the very least. 
Yeah. Where, I mean, you know, it's he's not making a Michael Bay movie, right? Like, kind of like you said. So it's not homage, and it's not necessarily, I wouldn't call it a Valentine. Maybe it's a Valentine with, like, you know, a, a broken heart on it or something. I don't know. <laughs> what do you guys, I mean, you see where I'm going here? There's something, it's a yeah. weird mixture of love and sort of maybe some condescension. I don't know. <laughs> there, there does, there, it's almost like a, you know, it's a galaxy brain level kind of, uh, hypocrisy going on where like you have to be able to sit with both of those viewpoints right like yes it is contradictory but at the same time like um you know it's it, I, it made me think of nick frost's character who for the first like half of the film is just depicted as an oaf right mm-hmm. like a you know dumb guy that just got a job because of who his daddy is and um you know has you know, it's constantly like like brings baked goods into the department. Um, uh, you know, gets put in the drunk tank and then get, puts on his uniform in the morning, and so and that's very much like making fun of a particular type of person. And then he brings out those two DVDs, but that's also like the moment where he becomes a fully fleshed out, like empathetic person too. So that when that reveal happens later in the film about, you know, is he going to side with his dad or with Simon Pegg? And he ultimately makes the, quote, right choice. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, I mean, it feels like it's it's meant to, like, force you to to sit there with those two opposing forces and say, like, okay, yeah, I guess it's possible to both, like, be an uneducated nepotism person. higher and still be like an, a person that can make could can do good things and can uh have you know fun watching action movies with his new best friend so interesting interesting it's an interesting read you have there um <laughs> i feel like you i feel like you are sensing you have a critique of this film that i i i want to dive into more <laughs> like i want i really want to unpack you know, I feel like there's some other layer because all I see here is just a really funny um, parody of an action movie. That's a great action movie. I'm not seeing much more happening beyond that. And that's a little bit problematic on some level to me because it's like, and this is going to be a very IMO situation right now. Like, it's a great movie. I love it, but it's never going to be Die Hard, right? Mm. It's never going to reach that level to me where it's like, oh, this is, you know, a non-ironic sort of um, straightforward uh, action movie or adventure film. It's always going to have that ironic distance to it. But but Mm -hmm. is that, you think, because of the comedy nature of it that that helps separate it? Because um, you mentioned Die Hard, and certainly that's like in the upper echelon of action films and um, yeah, you could have a, a handful of, of, of movies that you feel that way about and they're just like untouchable. Uh, but um, I, I guess I guess going back to the quote they used by Simon Pegg, he, he envisioned this movie to be like they want it to be sort of like bad boys too, but then they like, don't want to ha- envision the movie or place its legacy at that level. Like they, they mm-hmm. inspired it to like be a little higher brow than that. Yeah. And, um, that's, that's ultimately where they want it to sit. And I, I, I don't know. I mean, like as far as like these, uh, buddy cop, like action movie type things. Um, I, I think that, I enjoy some of the brevity that uh, this movie provides as opposed to like some of the really heavy handed uh, buddy cop movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think that, I mean, I keep going back to the relationships of the characters uh, and I think there is, there's, I mean, Edgar Wright has basically uh, developed a shorthand, right. For mm-hmm. um, that kind of, uh, oh my, I think there's definitely homage going on here. I mean, I think you, you, you look at the rest of his filmography, um, Scott Pilgrim in particular is like just chock full of homage to um, other media that clearly has inspired him, including like the, the manga which it, upon which it's based. And yet there's this, uh, I mean, I do also kind of agree with you, Dan, with this detachment factor where it's like um, he has so good at his this is what it comes down to. You were asking about like trying to dig into what is my critique that I keep like 
dancing around. Yeah, I sense something. I sense something. I, I, Edgar Wright's kind forest. of annoying, right? <laughs> <laughs> there it is. But he knows he's annoying. And he well, I, that's uses... it's funny. I was going to ask a question about this. I was yeah. going to ask, uh, you know, I, I think we've all seen, we've all seen Last Night in Soho, right? No. Yes. Oh, you I haven't. Have okay. No. Uh, okay. So let's go, let's go back a little. Baby Driver, have we seen this? <laughs> yes. yes. Okay. So it's like, are there elements that you notice in Hot Fuzz that come out later in his career that don't, did not age so well? Right. Right. There's there in the production of this film, like his sort of the really quick editing and stuff like that, the top down stuff. Love it. It's great. It's a great little touch that he has to his films, but there are elements here. It's a little overly long. Mm -hmm. Um, It's not a super tight story. Uh, And this, I think that gets a little bit worse with world's end where it's like, Oh, this is, this is messy. This feels messy. (laughs) Uh, And like, I just, there's like little things, little cracks in this movie that I didn't, I would not have noticed unless I saw Baby Driver and Last Night in Soho. And so like maybe, you know, there's, like you're saying, he is kind of annoying. He is kind of a know-it-all. And when you see Last Night in Soho, you can't unsee that, right? Mm-hmm. Like it, the the cracks just completely rip wide open in that movie. Uh, it was so bad that I basically, if I was in the theater, I would have walked out. <laughs> like that's how bad that I thought that movie was. And this is a guy that I love. Like, and I love yeah. his movies. I love Scott Pilgrim, which actually I'd never seen until Chris forced me to watch it like five years ago. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Is one of my favorite movies of all time. Like, I, I think it's a masterpiece. But, but it's, it's is... really obnoxious. It's an obnoxious <laughs> masterpiece. Yeah, it's super obnoxious. I mean, what's obnoxious about this movie though, specifically? Like, what are you seeing that <sighs> the the thing that really stood out with this rewatch? Um, and I, I, I think it's just, this is the first time, like probably since the theater watching it, like I, I'm a, I'm in my mid thirties. I can afford a good surround system now. Mm-hmm. And so like those edits do get laborious, like the sound <laughs> effects with like the foom, ding, foom. like it's just, yeah, yeah. it's, it's a lot. And it very much like has this kind of like brash kind of immature style to it that kind of, you know. C- comes out full force in both Scott Pilgrim and Baby Driver. Scott Pilgrim, it makes sense because it's literally yes. about like turning the pages, y- young adults, yeah, yeah like a comic Absolutely. book video game come alive. With Baby Driver, like, and he was—that's the thing—is like he's self-aware of it. He's like, this is literally a screenplay I wrote when I was like seventeen, and I finally get to like have millions of dollars to make it. So it's like literally like his teenage boy id coming to life. In like this really like entertaining but really ugly bizarre. way. It's bizarre. It's a bizarre. Yeah, movie. I don't. I'm curious, Max. Uh, what's your sell on Last Night in Soho? Because so far, I am not gonna fire up my HBO Max anytime soon. Yeah, don't watch that movie. Uh, <laughs> Did you not yeah. like it either? No, I hated it. God, what is it about that? I, I could talk about that movie for hours. Screw Hot Files. Let's talk about how terrible. Last <laughs> night no, um, I, I was because I, 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 I heard like people disliking and stuff like that. It's like, how bad could it be? I, exactly. I, I gotta watch this, and I was like, oh no, yeah. I, 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 do you see any connection to what he did in Hot Fuzz to that movie? Do you see any bridge? <sighs> I, I don't know. Like, I, I, I guess like some of his, um, he, he certainly has a lot of love for these stories of, um unbelievable like uh lead characters like trying to purvey like their problems certainly that's thinking that links hot fuzz and last night in soho directly right because uh thomas and mckenzie's character and and last night soho is like saying oh i'm seeing ghosts and um i'm being haunted and no one believes me and she's trying to get people to help her whereas here in hot fuzz simon Pegg's character is like Mm. um you know you guys need to believe me there's these are these are murders everybody's just like no they're accidents it's uh, murders don't happen here and i mean for me that was that was really obnoxious i mean it's like a joke that goes too long because at first you're like yeah, I get it. They they want to like sort of diminish his um, ability, or they want to say he overworks and he's he's just kind of like crazy. But um, then you're like, yeah, this is really just keeps on nailing the point across, and it's like mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. gotta let the joke go. 
he does and, sort of bludgeon the audience a little bit. Right? <laughs> and there is that, I mean, it, it's interesting you bring up, because uh, I guess I didn't realize how much of a uh, horror riff uh, Last Night in Soho is. Um, and I very much, re- during my rewatch of Hot Fuzz, was like, it's it, it's it feels very strange that it's like this mini slasher movie inside of the buddy cop action movie, right? Where it's like uh, these... Yeah, these uh, it is the it's absurdist action, but it's also like absurdist horror kills of the you know costumed um, mysterious character that is killing off these people. Right, who's who's like almost like ghost faced himself. Right, like, yeah, hundred percent. Um, yeah, I mean, there, there's I mean, there's there's so much going on with this movie that like as a movie aficionado a nerd you're gonna like it right like <laughs> yeah there is someone brought this up um in terms of like how much edgar wright references other movies apparently there's like a track on the space dvd that's like a reference subtitle thing and it tells you every what they're referencing in every scene oh god and it's like <laughs> apparently it's like non-stop like yeah. the entire no, show right that's like uh, ready player one syndrome, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, look at this, right? Uh, look at that. I remember that. Um, so yeah, I mean, yeah, that's definitely, he has a style. I mean, you said at the very least, he has a very distinct style. Some of it's a little bit irritating. Um, I mean, one thing that kind of came to mind with this movie and, and rewatching it, and I've probably seen this movie 20 times since it came out. Like it's, <laughs> it's a good movie, right? Um, and it has a high rewatchability to it. You know, as an action movie, I think it definitely works. But like I said, it doesn't really feel like a diehard level or anything like that. As a comedy, I think it obviously works a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wonder, like, is, you know, back to, like, the initial question that I think that Chris was asking us, like, is there is there a point to this movie? Like, yeah. Is there... Um, yeah, what is the message if there is one? Or is it just because it seems deeper than just, hey, let's laugh at funny kind of doofuses and country people. You know, what is like maybe the not so, um, you know, latent uh, ideology here or sort of point that's going on? What do you guys think? Or I message? The like the absurdity of it. Is and, and this is kind of where I feel like there's three Americans talking about this, right? Um, <laughs> yeah, there's, British movie, yeah. There, yeah, there's very much like a cultural aspect to this that I feel like I'm missing, that I'm only like getting through glimpses of pop culture. I mean, Edgar Wright went so far as to say, like, uh, you know, when Shaun of the Dead um, became a cult hit, he got offers to turn it into an American TV show or, uh, you know, do have sell the rights so that they could remake it in America. And he was trying to explain that, like, his movies, even though they are definitely crossover hits, have like this certain like br- like the point of Hot Fuzz. The one of the key reasons it works as a comedy is because British cops are not seen in the same way yeah. as American cops, right? And th- that kind of also goes full circle to when I was talking about like looking at this in 2022 versus um, 2007. Um, there's been there has been so much baggage about the American police and just like how insidious, corrupt, and you know murderous they've become, um, and maybe always have been. That is a little uh, it, it doesn't vibe with Hot Fuzz specifically because like like literally British cops don't carry guns, right? They are literally seen as like kind of just like oafish clowns um, that are largely uh in a you know uh ineffectual at best and you know uh unintelligent at worst um Jason and he kind of right yeah exactly <laughs> or um, swan, sorry a swan, not swan. <laughs> yeah just a single swan causing all that drama um and so i feel like if there is some kind of message it very much is about like I was saying earlier, that autobiographical aspect, the perfectionism and the, um, you know, uh, a small town can be more than meets the eye, which isn't, these are not very mind-blowing messages. Uh, and yet, um, because it's peppered and just like blast, like so jam-packed with uh, um, just really solid jokes and really solid performances, um, then it, 
it just comes across as this weird combination of parody and genuineness, and uh, I don't. Yeah, I really think that it, it's one of those films where, like, you 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 try to mix it with the uh, a you know explosive buzzword like propaganda, and it just doesn't work simply because of who we're talking about and what we're yeah. talking about. I mean, it's hard to because he. You know, Edgar Wright's British. What does he know about American police? Right? Like, <laughs> through he it, just, yeah, he he knows they, it through Point Break and Bad Boys. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's like a it's a commentary on a fictionalization of American police in the British like it, it, culture. It's it, it, the layers are just you know it, it's very filling, but it's hard to digest. Right at the same time, like I don't think there's a lot. There's I'm like there's an intellectual thesis going on behind a lot of what he's doing. I think it's it's played for laughs and enjoyment, and, and you know like it's it's so cinematic and enjoyable. It's a popcorn movie at the end of the day, um, but that doesn't mean there isn't an ideology behind it, right? Probably yeah. a hidden one. Um, but I think it's a much way on the lighter side of things. Let's talk about the darker side of things with <laughs> In Bruges, uh, a 2008 movie, which. Oh, how did I come about this one? I think through film festivals. Really? Uh, I was really into sort of, you know, figuring out what's going on in the world in film. And I think I came across it back then. I definitely did not see this in the theater when it came out. I think I saw it on DVD. What about you guys? Did you guys see this back in 2008, like right away or kind of later on? Max, you go first. Yeah, for, for me, I don't remember if I necessarily saw it in 2008, but um, I it's funny. Before I... Um, uh, discussed this this episode with you guys and you gave me a few different ones to look at um i, I picked this one in particular because i i remember that i was uh fond of both movies uh, hot fuzz and in bruges and so i was like oh well we watched some movies i enjoyed and i tell you when i turned on in bruges i was like i've forgotten like how mean uh martin <laughs> mcdonough's scripts can be i'm like these guys are like real bastards right yeah, and that's pretty uh, cool. um i'm like why did i like this movie and and, and eventually it it it, it made it made sense to me why i enjoyed it um but uh it it, it, it takes a little while to get there it's definitely sour right compared to the hot fuzz oh yeah <laughs> a little more saccharine i don't know chris how'd you come about this movie um you know i was i, I asked you to first max because i had to google it first to figure out when uh netflix started its streaming platform yeah. you know the transition from the dvd mail service right. because i have a viv vivid memory of this being one of the first movies i watched on netflix streaming and uh and also like remember have this really good memory of being of not only like being like oh my gosh i can just stream a title from my couch um but also uh like really just being enamored uh specifically with both the script and the two lead performances and i had a similar reaction to you upon my rewatch max <laughs> i even I, I even had such fond mem memory of this movie that since it wasn't on streaming free anywhere right now, I, I sprung for the Blu-ray and I was like, oh my gosh, did I just waste 20 bucks? <laughs> like, <laughs> the and, are so brutal. Come on. But then, but yeah. And then like, oh my God, that last half hour is just magical. Just yeah. how it's, um, I was just like, I, I, it's when I fully remembered why I love this movie so much. Um, but it really does challenge you, doesn't it? It really just yeah. like, pokes and prods you and i maybe i'm stereotyping because once again this is three american guys but like it, it i think martin mcdonough himself has said several times you know he's not just a british uh screenwriter and playwright and director he's irish yes it's a very <laughs> irish movie right yeah. the two um, leads are irish colin Feldman <laughs> and gleason ralph Fiennes is their british boss which yes. has a whole nother layer to it uh it, yeah i mean to me, the darkness and the humor and the language and the viewpoints read to me as very Irish uh, in the sense that, like, it's just this darkness. And that's, I mean, Irish humor is known for that. There's, like, a mm -hmm. sort of real um, strong undercurrent of bleakness to, like, what they're sort of laughing at. Um, but, God, what a... Uh, a tonal difference from Hot Fuzz. I mean, this, mm -hmm. uh, you know, yeah. the, what are the crossovers, though? It's like, is it absurdist? Yeah, totally absurdist. Why does it feel absurd, though? 
Why does this movie feel Because it is very much more in a, a grounded, realistic world than Hot Fuzz, right? Yeah. I mean, it is, but it also... I know. Go ahead, Max. Yeah, and despite being, like, very harsh and um, using uh, extremely colorful language, um, it is very funny, too, you know, in a different way than Hot Fuzz is. Um, It's not ha-ha funny. Yeah, Yeah, it's definitely that you laugh differently. Like, when you laugh in Hot Fuzz, you feel good afterwards. When you laugh in Improves, you feel kind of sick. You know? <laughs> like, why did I just laugh at that that's not actually that funny it's kind of mean and disturbed yeah um <laughs> i mean i think that there's the, there's some absurdity elements to it It feels uh and maybe this is definitely my viewpoint it feels like a post reservoir dogs film remember when there was that in yeah. fiction where God. this huge influx of tarantino scripts about criminals and hitmen and stuff like that it kind of feels um, like a descendant of that world. I mean, what does Martin? What does he know about hitmen? He doesn't know anything about hitmen. <laughs> he doesn't know anything no. about crime. Like clearly, he does not. And, and yeah. they even kind of mention this in the film about being, it's a fairy tale town. Yep. Even though it's not. Uh, and sort of, there's that weird. There is a magical, almost a magical realism, like a very faintness to this movie that yeah. I think feels a little absurdist. Um, that kind of elevates the story a lot. The whole um, like the, uh, the the scene that really fits that the that description is in my mind one of the one is just like the funniest kind of like variations on the old Three Stooges who's on first where they're like talking about how they're going to exit the hotel to continue their shootout <laughs> yeah so that they don't hurt the hotel owner and it's just like and you know part of it is absolutely the performances part of it's the script but um it it, it I'm going to do this because you went so far as to use the phrase pure cinema when talking about the previous film, but now I'm going to be guilty of something ridiculous. It's, it's because wouldn't you say that like the city's kind of a character too? Oh, come on. (laughs) No, I, I, no, I I agree that the the Bruges itself is, is pivotal to this. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Ray Fine's character says as much. He's like, "Oh, I was hoping to give the boy like a magical place," and like, mm-hmm. and, like yeah. Colin First character is like, "He can't be real, right?" <laughs> He's like, "This place sucks." <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's there's that weir- weird juxtaposition about yeah. There's like the the baseness of the comedy and, and the story. I mean, he's there because he accidentally killed the kid. Mm-hmm. Uh, can I just comment? This is how I know that um, they know nothing about crime. Like, no one kills someone that way. Like, why would you like, uh, like shoot someone like twelve times like that and like a different <laughs> angle? Like, does that makes no sense? Sorry, <laughs> no, that's not how people no. kill people. And then um, it happens again at the end of the movie. Right. Yeah, you're like, what? and also the bullet hole in the kid's head is in the wrong angle, but that's a whole other thing. Um, <laughs> Forensics expert over here. <laughs> I mean, it makes no sense. But uh, yeah, it's like he's creating. And uh, uh, this popped into my head in the shower the other day. And feel free to shoot this down if you guys want to shoot this down. But I feel like action movies are like like male fairy tales. Does Mm. this make sense? Am I on to something here? Keep going. Keep going. It's like like this dream world where you get to be a cop, you get to be a robber, but you're playing out sort of the mundaneness of everyday life and the challenges that you have in everyday life. And in this movie, it's sort of like, what is that challenge? And I think it's something to do with sort of, uh, you know, being true to yourself and your principles or something. I don't know. What do you guys think? Is there something there? It's like a fairy tale with a moral. This mm-hmm. one has a moral to it, this story. What do you... Uh, what? The moral's not a good one, right? I think the moral is so specifically stated that, like... I mean, like, when you think about... Uh, there's two moments that really come to mind. One, the entire plot revolves around a principle. Mm -hmm. That if you kill a kid, you have to die, which is okay. Like, innocence is the most important thing in the world. I don't know. It's a crazy sort of thing. But I actually find there's another moment in the movie that seemed more pointed in it, in sort of its messaging, is that uh, Ken um, decides to let Ray free, right? Like, and he has a principle of, I need to let him go. 
right? So I think there's, I don't know, they, there's something there where it's like holding, you know, being true to your principles or something like that. Well, it the has link, a message, right? Yeah, and I think the link between those two threads is um, the idea of innocence and the capacity for change, right? Why is it yes, so yeah. morally brutal, uh, incorrect to kill a kid? Because they could have had a life, right? They could have grown to be somebody uh, and... You know, Brendan Gleeson's character, Ken, could really see a capacity for change in Colin Farrell. Um, there's a great uh, podcast called, uh, oh God, what was I listening to the other day? Cinema of Meaning. And they talk about all the clues along the way, both in the script and in Colin Farrell's performance, where essentially, right, and it's not necessarily a new thing, like it, it, it happened a lot, I think, especially in the late 2000s with Knocked Up and Apatow Universe, that man child. Like, he's literally, like, you know, kicking things in the church because he doesn't want to be there. He's, like, making he's like making fun of, he has these prejudices that then he uh, starts, like, learning a little bit more about and pulling back on in very immature and crude ways. But still, like, he's learning. Like, he, he, this is, he, he has only done one job as a hitman. He's very early in his professional life. It's an absurd professional life. <laughs> uh, but he very much is essentially a child and Brendan Gleeson can see that Ray Fiennes cannot. And uh, so there's these two principles that contradict each other. And then you end up with the culminating scene, which like I said, is just really powerful as powerful as it is like funny and ironic. Um, just like the ironic reveal at the end of hot fuzz where, but without like it's funny because like the the relationships in Hot Fuzz was what feels like meat on the bones in that movie, but like the the like the plotting and the moralisms of in Bruges is what feels powerful here. Um, though you could definitely make an argument that like the the chemistry between Gleason and Farrell is fantastic, um, and yet there is this. Yeah, I think you're right, Dan. That like that you're acting out, you know this this uh, fairy tale it's just that in edgar wright's film you get the happy ending and in this one you don't um well it's i mean it's no not. that that's uh, i think um if you go around the ending the ending here is left vague right i mean yeah. on the on, on the happy side you could imagine that uh colin farrell's character has finally gotten the will to live um because mm. he he had lost that in in the film and um was ready to give up and um since he fought so hard to save his own life and and to survive there at the end that um maybe, maybe hopefully he uh survived his ordeal yeah i think there's definitely i read the ending is a little bit more optimistic i mean here's the thing even if he dies right he found the will to live right right even though he th- he had done this terrible thing um earlier that was a completely on accident even though he was doing it sort of in a very evil act it was an accident um yeah it's uh i think it's obviously a way more i think it's a way more complicated film than hot fuzz uh hot fuzz sort of skims along the surface about societal stuff and social stuff and uh and this film does not i mean especially being raised catholic there's just like oh oh, yeah guilt right yeah Yeah. like (laughs) endless minefield you know purgatory and and all that sort of stuff. And um, the worship of innocence is, is very common in that religion as well. And um, yeah, and sort of being a bad person and being a sinner and you deserve the pain that you have, all that sort of stuff uh, was very out in front in this movie. Um, and I think that's you know, on the rewatch, something that I latched onto a little bit more. I think when I first saw it, it did feel like a Tarantino kind of knockoff that was really funny. Uh, and Colin Farrell, I think, is uh, not, it's not a breakout performance for him, but it's definitely um, uh, a kind of a different direction that he went in from this movie forward. Because I think mm-hmm. before this, as I remember, he was kind of like more of a heartthrob, right? Yeah. Like, phone booth. Yeah, phone SWAT. booth, squad, <laughs> stuff like that. And this is kind of his turn into, uh, you know, I, I guess I'll call it more serious sort of film work that I think is he's been pretty amazing uh, over the last few years doing. But yeah, I think there's a lot in this movie, and I think Chris, you hit it, the nail on the head when you said that like it it is the plotting and the really really tight script that holds this thing together, and why it has such a strong skeleton to it, and why it moves so well as a film. 
but there's so many accents here and there's so <laughs> much like foliage that like really fills out the film um where it does feel like i didn't i did not have the reaction you guys had because i remember seeing it i had a, like opposite reaction when i first saw it i was like oh wow this is really unsettling like the humor is <laughs> very dark and yeah. there's the really um the grotesque scene when spoiler alert um one of the main characters dies through a very mm. uh, long fall and is basically dismembered on the the ground there disgusting uh yeah. or even the kid getting shot in, you know in the in yeah, um, the violence is arguably more extreme than Hot Fuzz. Well, I mean, yeah. uh, funny when you guys mentioned these two together in absurdist action. That's that. That's why. That's why I thought you measured these up together because of how yeah. violent I thought the kills were in both movies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, certainly it's super over the top, right? And the gore, yeah, yeah the Garden Bruges feels without a doubt absurd, and just um, but kind of uh, mixes with the 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 comedy tone really well it's not like cartoonish gore it's really gore gore like tom savini gore yeah um, and and the 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 camera work is still very tasteful because and yeah. like like brennan gleason's performance in his dying moment spoiler alert and i know you usually say that before <laughs> the actor's name but like with you know the there's like the soft focus over like his guts hanging out and the the leg in the distance but then the camera like stays tight on his face. Yeah. Uh, and, and so like, there is like, there's just, like the sense of seriousness to it. I, it's just amazing. I don't know how McDonough does it. Um, he definitely does it better here than he did in either seven psychopaths or Ebbing, Missouri, oh, but God. <laughs> we won't, we won't touch that minefield. <laughs> um, but he, it's just, it's really like impressive that he does that all wrapped up in, like you said, you know, on the surface, you very much could just view this film as one of those, like a latent Tarantino thing, right? And it's like how it's just it's it's one of those th- it's one of those movies that should not work, and yet yeah. it works in spades. Yeah, it's his debut movie too, right? Uh, but you can tell that he was a playwright. You know, obviously yeah. it comes from the theater <laughs> world where it's like the writing is just like off the charts. Um, did you guys still find it funny, like the the dark humor in this? Yeah, I do absolutely. Yeah. I did notice that, like I said before, uh, like I was definitely laughing again watching Hot Fuzz for probably the sixth or seventh time. Um, but watching in Bruges, I was just, it was definitely just like, it was more internal. Like I had a lot more internal <laughs> reactions, especially yeah, I, to, you know, a lot of the, you know, the racist, ableist stuff yeah, that's happening, right. which yeah, you, I you could that, definitely. That. That is the Arr. stuff that kind of like irked yeah. me the most. Is the, is the ablest stuff of uh, the one of the characters in the movie. But um, on the other hand, I it's like I I thought it was hilarious. Where like um, I guess uh, Colin Farrell's character is, is interested in uh, a young actress, and like he goes up to her place, and the, the the boyfriend comes into the house, and he's like having a gun and everything, and he's like, "Oh, I'm gonna get you," and then he like. Colin Farrell just easily takes the gun and shoots a blank in his eye. It's just, <laughs> yeah. uh, it's like a- absolutely ridiculous. And like, it, it, it's, it's like some of that crude, like, uh, like just, I don't know how to put it. Like, uh, yeah. Ridiculous humor. Yeah. It's almost, yeah. There's, um, there's not a lot of love there in the humor, right? It's almost like there's an like antisocial element to it, <laughs> uh, especially from Ray. I mean, yeah. I mean, the, the thing that sticks out to me is a lot of the language and the perspectives here despite being presented in a way that suppo- you're supposed to make sort of laugh at and not laugh with, it is kind of tough to sit there and kind of listen to it and sort of be like, Oh, I guess I'm okay going along with this. Uh, because you want to, I think, you know, obviously Ray and Ken are the protagonists here and Ray, probably more than the main protagonist. You want to feel sympathy for him. You want to, um, you know, you want him to get, through it but he's not a good person right and, and nor is ken and harry is certainly not a good person <laughs> and you know it's one of those sort of you know i guess it's the anti-hero thing of the 2000s um you know the breaking brad type stuff and sopranos and all that um or like the shield would be a really good example uh but like do you guys care about ray in this movie at all do you want him to survive i, I kind of did i was indifferent to him <laughs> I, I felt very much like 
I was constantly reminded in every scene how, like, if I didn't have, like, Colin Farrell's bushy eyebrows and puppy dog eyes in every shot, I would, yeah, I would, like, can you imagine, I don't know, if another British actor, like, I don't know if I would have cared about him if it was Daniel Craig or anybody, like, this is just such, it's one of those roles, like, every facial expression he makes is, like, so, like, clearly tailored and he's one of those actors that like you said earlier i just like didn't care about at all like he just felt like oh he's just another british guy that crossed over to the over the pond and now is you know a generic action stand-in and but like i don't know how why how is it possible that he makes me care about him because i do maybe it is that childish that childless yeah uh uh, aspect to it what do you think max yeah i i think like when I was watching it this time, I had I had forgotten like the, the main story beats of it, and I'm just like, uh, his character uh, Ray gets on the train, and I'm like, there's no way he's out of this movie with 30 minutes left. It's like mm-hmm. we 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 know that like Ray finds his characters coming into town, and I'm just like, yeah, there's gonna be some way to to bring him back there, and I'm just <laughs> like, the 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 moves that he makes once he's like back in town are like really really stupid even for him and i'm just like it puts him in a a really outrageously bad situation but one of the scenes i love and use the dialogue from it to begin the episode is the sit down between um harry and such a good exchange yeah and i love that in movies i I, since i was just talking with my it's a pitches co-host about heat and like how pacino and de niro sit down at the table and like you, you know these guys want to get each other right <laughs> but they they can have like this cordial meeting um because like they're in a, a situation where they just can't take each other out but um i i love that when uh movies employ that it's like they do the same something similar at the top of the tower right which essentially yeah. ken expresses his sort of love and respect to harry knowing that he's about to get killed by him like there's like that's and that's such a mass uh masculine thing I love yeah. you because I know you're going to kill me. Now. <laughs> right. Um, I mean that you bring up a good point too, Max. I think like the thing about both of these movies is much as like, these are action movies and it's about guns going off and explosions and people getting shot and all that kind of stuff. My favorite scenes in both of these movies are just people talking to each other. Yep. Yeah. Like even like, uh, especially the early part of hot fuzz got every interaction when he goes to sort of get the tour of the police station <laughs> and they go, Oh, it's half past 11, your first day time for lunch. And they go to the pub and it's just like, Oh, those back and forth. Like everybody's packing out here. or something, whatever it is. Um, um, I don't know. There's something about those, those ping pong scenes. I don't know if I should, I call it Sorkin esque. I shouldn't, I shouldn't. <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> um, but yeah, it's those, those, um, those talkie scenes. Boom, boom. Right. Like back and forth conversations I, that are super funny. Well, I was going to, you, you said, you said Tarantino earlier. That's what true. he's known yeah. for. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Good call. <laughs> and I was going to say this earlier too, of this, uh, like hangout quality, like, yes. uh, like a hangout sitcom almost, but like with this, like very kinetic, very like, kinetic energy that helps propel it forward so that it never feels like a hangout movie, right? Or a hangout yes. story. Um and I think and yeah, and Bruges does the same thing where it's like uh and I even I felt it like both movies actually. Probably like the first half of both movies, I'm like, wait a second, are these action movies? And of yeah. course I'm proven that it's proven that they are with the second halves, but like, yeah, they just like so much good setup i mean you talked about it being masculine i think the one thing that's annoying in both movies and i think especially in bruce there was a whole female character cut out of hot fuzz by the way a whole uh romantic interest um of really? uh simon pegg's character that it was just i mean the movie was already over two hours so they they complete they cut all, all of her scenes um but also the the romantic interest here in, in bruce is like it, it's very much of that whole era Right of uh, the yeah, the manic pixie dream girl, it's like fantasy. Yeah. It's all fantasy. It, well, and that's you. Know, you can definitely make an argument that that's part of the whole yeah male wish fulfillment thing happening here. But it it is annoying, especially when we see her like 
as he's getting pulled away on the stretcher at the end and she's like oh my god and he's, she's known this guy a day and a half, and she's <laughs> a half drunk hey man it's yeah. his dream he can dream whatever he wants <laughs> <laughs> it's essentially what these movies are right um any any final thoughts on hot fuzz in bruges you guys have uh I, i'll start out i just i i still love both these movies um I think that like even with age, I think in Bruges um, is is very problematic with the humor and it's a little bit tough, especially nowadays to to really digest it all. Hot Fuzz to me just still clicks perfectly. And like, yeah, it's too long. Yeah, it's over the top. Yeah, it's kind of annoying. But wow, is it, you know, a hilarious movie that is like easy just to put on and have in the background and just laugh every once in a while. What do you guys think? Uh, I'll let you have the final word, Max. So okay. I'll just briefly recap that, you know, I'm looking at the decade of the 2000s and what was going on there. And I think these two are probably two of the most special uh, of this kind of thing, trying to balance comedy and action and be absurdist, but also like have some warmth to them so that they're not uh, complete, just like cartoons. Um, and like we, we did an episode a while back on Pineapple Express, and I think there's an argument to be made for that film. Um, there's the great Black Dynamite, which brings in the black exploitation factor, but otherwise you've got like, I don't know, Mr. And Mrs. Smith, Tropic Thunder, Paul Blart, Mall Cop one and two, like you, there's, there's not a lot in this decade, right? That really kind of still sings today and like tropic thunder is has problematic uh humor and uh uh in does and hot fuzz you know has some factors to it that aren't as interesting uh as perhaps they were when i was in my mid-20s seeing it for the first time um like thematically and uh you know being you know overly layered or deep but uh yeah they're both bangers they both like <laughs> stick the landing and I'm just like, yeah, this movie rocks. Even though I can, you know, pull myself back and be like, this is not great. And this is not great. It's just like, what a time. But I'll, you, you said it again, Dan, uh, pure cinema. Pure cinema. Max, what are your thoughts, man? <laughs> yeah, I, I was, I was happy to revisit both of these movies. Um, certainly, certainly from the get go, I was, I, I remembered, feeling pretty strongly about both of them uh enjoying them one thing that we didn't talk about hot fuzz in particular is uh timothy dalton's performance yes, and amazing um other than james bond it's like the thing that i <laughs> I, I most remember timothy dalton for probably and um it, it the way that the script is is so clever it just like centers your eyes on him all the time but it, that's obviously where, where peg's character is looking and uh I, I like how the film actually opens up from there. Mm, um, mm-hmm. As for in Bruges, like I said, um, yeah, I, I didn't like, I remember being uh, really enjoying it. And uh, I, I think by the time I was done watching it, I was like, Oh yeah, now, now I get it. Now, now I, I realized why I enjoyed it. And um, it, it was, it was a good time watching both of these films. And I, I think that, Ultimately, uh, we're going to see uh, Gleason and um, uh, Farrell uh, yeah. again in a new movie uh, of McDonough's. So obviously, he, the chemistry worked, and maybe Lightning will strike twice there. And uh, looking forward to that. And uh, yeah, I, it's, it's been a pleasure. Yeah, well, yeah. we appreciate uh, you coming on the show. Uh, it's been great. Where can uh, people find you? And what, what do you got coming up on the podcast? Are there any new articles coming out? Yeah, so. Um, uh recently we recorded a episode where a co-host john gilpatrick and i um went through our presumed uh top 10 uh sight and sound list and um try, tried to pick our our favorites uh it, it was fun because we didn't know whether or not we should just pick our favorite movies or if there was some uh need to pick international films or yeah. one from certain directors or just like certain ones that hold different prestige so we had a lot of fun with that um just uh today as we're recording this i had a new review go up on paste magazine of Great. the new masaka uh Uasa and uh the movie's called inuo and uh it's this really cool uh japanese anime film yeah. where uh 
it takes place in 14th century Japan and it's supposed to have like all this like um, classical dance and music of that era, but it, the music and dance is more of uh, what you'd expect from like a rock concert of seeing like Freddie Mercury and Queen and uh, it, it's, it's, it's really cool. So um, yeah, I, I uh, going forward. Yeah. If you want to hear more from me, um, it's the pictures. It's, it's the pick pod on Twitter. Uh, I'm on Twitter at MH Colville. Uh, you can listen to the podcast, uh, check out the Substack. I write there too, or, uh, I've been doing a lot of work for pace magazine, so you can find me there too. Awesome. Uh, thanks for coming on the show. Yeah. This, thanks so much, Max. I this appreciate has it. Been Film trace. Boom.